this is Catherine O'Connell and welcome to Lawyer On Air. If you are looking for inspirational stories about women in law, then this is the podcast for you. Join me and my lawyer ladies as we enjoy a glass of wine after a hard day at work and talk about the world of women in law. It's my passion to share stories of amazing legal ladies who are working as in-house legal counsel, who have law firm roles, who are leading on boards and who are doing law differently. From time to time, I will also invite special guests on the show to share their insights on legal recruiting and tips for getting hired as a successful lawyer in Japan. I hope you will enjoy getting to know these amazing women who I am so proud to share a profession with. I'm glad you're here and I hope you enjoy the show. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode in season four of Lawyer On Air. I'm the host of the show, Catherine O'Connell. Today I'm joined by Yumiko Ota. Yumiko is a partner in the Tokyo office of US-based global law firm, Oric Harrington and Sutcliffe LLP. Oric has been named one of the 100 best places to work for seven years in a row. And this year, Oric ranked number 13 and was ranked the top law firm in the US. Oric is a truly integrated global law firm and the Tokyo office is well connected with the offices of Oric in the US, Europe and in Asia. Well, Yumiko joined Oric in 2010 as an associate and was promoted to partner in 2017. She is a member of the Employment Law Group and focuses mainly on HR matters, as well as various corporate transactions, including compliance, corporate governance, mergers and acquisitions, joint ventures, litigation, and general corporate transactions. Before joining Oric, Yumiko was an associate at Tanabian Partners, which is a mid-sized local law firm, where she acquired the foundational skills to practice law. Yumiko also has experience serving as a statutory auditor for Japanese corporations, and she also served as a court-appointed mediator for 10 years. Prior to practicing law, Yumiko worked at Mitsubishi Corporation in the sales section for seven years. While there, she was involved in LNG projects and other global business. Yumiko attained her LLB from University of Tokyo and is a member of the Daiichi Tokyo Bar Association, where I'm also a member. Yumiko also offers up her time as vice chair of the Human Resources Management Committee of American Chamber of Commerce, ACCJ. Yumiko ranks high in various law directories and has been quoted in the Japan Times, Bloomberg and other media. Yumiko and her firm were finalists at the ALB Japan Law Awards 2022 on June 2nd this year, which is where I met Yumiko. We sat at the same table and enjoyed a really great evening together. Yumiko was a finalist in ALB's Woman Lawyer of the Year law firm category alongside me in the same category. Yumiko tells me that she loves sports, she plays tennis and also does yoga regularly and she also loves watching sports as well. Well, I'm super glad to bring you Yumiko Ota today as my guest and share her story with you. Yumiko, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you very much for your introduction and many thanks, Catherine. You are welcome. And today, Yumiko, we're going to talk about your career path, influences you've had along your journey, uh, your work and life inside and outside of Japan, 
uh, your career before the law, becoming a partner. And I'd also really love you to offer up some tips and ideas for that next generation of lawyers who are coming through the ranks behind you. How does all that sound? Hopefully. I have something to talk about. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Well, we always have the same opening question. I'm going to ask you that one as well. If we are online today, but if we were going to be meeting up again in person, where would we go to? Do you have a favorite wine bar or cafe or restaurant that you love? Uh, and what would be your choice of beverage off the menu? Right. Yes. And uh, so I would love to take you to a nice yakitori restaurant in Megro, mm. and which is called uh, Yakitori Abe. I, I think you know, but I love wine. And uh, <laughs> we had a lot of wine together, you know, <laughs> at the party the other day. We did. And uh, yes, and they serve very nice wine, champagnes, mm. together with Yakitori. They they do like, uh, this is kind of typical Japanese style, but we don't order but they just uh, serve, keep serving yakitori, you know, kushis until we say stop. So we just say we cannot eat that or we don't want to eat that. But then they will just arrange and then bring yakitori to us. And uh, this is a very nice, cozy place. Wow, that's amazing. So it's lots of fun. You don't know what's coming. It's kind right, of a exactly. surprise. Yes, oh. yes, it is. It is. Oh, wow. Sounds exciting. I'd love to go there. I love yes. the idea of... Uh, having things brought to you that you don't know what's coming. That sounds like lots of interesting fun to have. Um, and of course, you can say no if you don't want something or take it back. That's pretty cool. Uh, I love yeah. that. <laughs> cool. Okay. Let's try that again sometime soon. And um, yes. those, as we're getting into autumn, it's it's really lovely to have those sort of wine yes. and, and cool beverages. Thank you. Well, let's get into your career. But I also want to ask you very, very beginning stages what you wanted to be when you were a child, because I noticed on your LinkedIn profile that you did some early days at Marymount, is it International yes. School in London? So I'm yes. really curious to know about those early days when you were a child. And, you know, did you think about then what you wanted to become when you got older? Oh, okay. Yes, it's a long story. <laughs> when I was a small kid, I went to the elementary school and junior high where the Empress Masako-sama graduated. And uh, she was very famous at that time as well and for her leadership personality and uh, her brightness. So I joined the softball club at the junior high, which Masako-sama created. And so I always had a lot of respect to her and uh, was thinking I want to be like her and so when I was at the junior high I think I wanted to be like a diplomat like her right (laughs) and no idea about law and I had no knowledge about the bar exam system in Japan and so that was what I was thinking and then when I started the high school, my father was transferred to London to work. And so my my sister and I went with mm. her mother. And then I went to Marymount. And then, but at that time, I was still thinking about becoming a diplomat or or do some international business 
like trading. And that was what I was thinking then. Mm. And then I came back to Japan for the university. And the, at the Tokyo University, I went to the,、uh, I majored in law. And surprisingly, like almost like 50% of my friends wanted to take the bar. And、mm. the rest, 50%, wanted to take the national exam,、uh, you know, to work for ministries.、Mm. And then I, re- I realized that, oh, there is a profession <laughs> in the law area. Oh, I see.、And、yes.、Uh, but I was too late to notice that. And I just decided to devote my university time to playing tennis and <laughs> enjoying my time. And at that time, the Japanese bar was so competitive,、mm. only 500 people passed、mm. every year. And the passing rate was something like 2%, 2%, 3%.、Mm. And I, I thought, no, 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 no way.、Uh, I cannot make it. But at the same time, When I was studying law at the university, I liked it and I was very interested in the law, I guess, itself. And I kind of decided or thought that maybe in the later stage of my career, or you know, when I turn into something like 30s, and it may be a good timing for me to kind of take the bar. And have kids and become a lawyer. So I think that I really kind of thought about that when I was at the university, but just decided that I want to do some international business and trading and things. So I decided to work for Mitsubishi Corporation.、Mm. And、uh, yeah, take, taking the exam to become a diplomat kind of flew away <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> So, people often in Japan study law and don't really intend to become a lawyer as such. You did think about it when you were there. Is law a popular subject to study so that it opens up part, different pathways for you? Is that the general idea? I think it was different at my time、hmm. that、uh, law was a Quite popular, I think,、mm. and、uh, especially, yes, at the Tokyo University, I think the, many people really wanted to study law and wanted to become lawyers or, or judges or prosecutors.、Mm. And, but probably not anymore in Japan after the new law school system was introduced. Before we had the law school things, it、uh, took like average of six to seven years to pass the bar. And、yeah. however, there is no qualification. So anyone can really try to take the bar without to investing to go to law schools or anything. But anyone like myself, You know, just、uh, graduated a long time ago doing other things and decided to take the bar. That was possible.、Mm. You know, it's and- interesting. Yeah, it's also interesting that you didn't, even though half your class, half the people wanted to take the bar, half didn't, but that you were, didn't feel the pressure to do it then. You sort of knew you wanted to do it maybe later. 
So already at that time, you seem to have quite good judgment about yourself and your capabilities that you didn't have to just do what everyone else was doing and sit the bar then you could think about doing it later. Is that kind of where you were at in your thinking? Yes. And to me, it was a kind of too risky, you know, black and white, pass or not pass. And I, I saw many people trying for several years and they reach it like 30 and and it's too kind of late to start and you know a new yeah. career and it's very hard to stop trying the bar because people were so close to passing but fail and then it's very difficult to say this is going to be my last you know chance i stop it next year and so when i was very young graduated from the university i thought it's good to start something working mm. And think about it. And uh, some people do actually take the bar while working for a company. So I thought uh, I would think about it and do it later. But I really wanted to do it later. Right. I see. So you, you did get out of Tokyo University with your LLB and you joined Mitsubishi Corporation. Did you look for that particular role? Were they a company that you looked up to that you wanted to join? How did that come about that you started with them? And then you're in the sales team, right? And as yes. I, I know in a lot of Japanese companies that people, no matter what degree they've got, will be assigned to a particular department or function. Was it like that for you? Uh, yes. And uh, it was a kind of a long time ago. And uh, <laughs> it was difficult for women mm. to be hired at trading houses in Japan. I took the interview and uh, there was no one, who, no female who was sent to sales departments before. Oh. And uh, they were sent to like uh, legal departments or finance or always back office type of things. Yeah. But I wanted to do the sales. During the interview, the company people, they said actually, we're thinking about uh, sending some female fresh employees to the sales uh, departments. And are you interested? And so I was so excited and said, yes, and I want to do it. And it was like, okay, we have a deal, you know. <laughs> oh, great. And, right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I was very excited and really wanted to do. And they really assigned me to the LNG department which was very international it's not domestic and so i liked it very much so were you doing international sales then because your english was you know already formulated you were still obviously progressing on that but you had had a basis in english was that part of that as well so that you could do international sales i think so yes Yes. Oh, I yeah. see. And why sales? Why were you so excited about sales? I mean, that's what the trading house are doing, mm. you know, the core business. I really wanted to do the international trading and business see. to work with global companies or, you know, non-Japanese people. And I wanted to see the world, <laughs> not just Japan, but how, you know, business people see things how well the world is 
progressing or <laughs> right <laughs> yes and things like that so, so i would think that first what i would call a first career or pre-law career in sales would have really set you up so well for being a lawyer you would have seen the insights into the thought process of customers their buying journey and it would have really helped you develop your skills and techniques to be what you do now, I imagine, which is business development in the firm. And because most of the work that we do as well as our, you know, advising in the law is actually sales. So I thought that might have been a really good basis for you starting out in the law to have had that first career in sales. Yes. So two things, I think, and I I was doing like sales, sale and purchase agreements mm. and shareholder uh, related matters. So I was working closely with so in in-house counsel and I attended many negotiations, you know, between oil and gas companies and the, the global companies like Shell, Petronas mm. and things. So that part was helpful. But the, the another thing is because I'm doing HL and employment and yeah. because I know how companies in Japan work and how HL works, how people work every day, what's the work roles and how people observe and things, you know, everything to do with HL companies is something which I really know myself. And so that also helps me a lot. Right. And so was it really through the sales that it made you quite interested in the HR side of things, which at the, maybe at the time you weren't so sure, but or didn't really realize, but now you can link up the dots and see, looking in the rear view mirror, that actually those the sales work that you were doing with HR teams, with those in-house counsel, with global negotiations, has led you to where you are now. I think so, yes. Oh, yes. Interesting. Yes. But you finished with Mitsubishi, and then you didn't quite go straight into law right you had another happening in your life i'd love you to tell us about that because i think that's very interesting yes okay i worked for mitsubishi corporation for quite a long time uh, seven years i loved it but i thought it would be a challenge to have a family and kids and work for Mitsubishi at the time. At, mm -hmm. at the time, it's very different. I think now it's much easier for women to work and have kids and stuff. I got married and my husband was assigned to Kuala Lumpur. Mm -hmm. And then I decided that this is the time. I want to have a kid and I want to try the bar. Mm. And so I decided to quit uh, Mitsubishi Corporations and I uh, went to Kuala Lumpur with my husband. Mm, so how do you just decide that? Because for many people, they may think, oh, Kuala Lumpur, I can't possibly have a child or how on earth would I study while I'm in another country? So I'm fascinated how you came up with that idea and were determined to do that. What happened with that way of thinking? I was uh, actually traveling to Kuala Lumpur for maybe over 30 times. I was in charge of the Malaysian project. So oh, I I knew right. the place very well. And right. I was very comfortable about living there and bringing up a kid. And so for that part, it's fine. And also 
I was so busy working for Mitsubishi Corporation and I didn't have time to study. But so I was so excited to have time for myself to study. But of course, we cannot manage the timing of having a baby. <laughs> and uh, so I wasn't sure if I could just uh, start studying right away or would have a baby. Oh. But then it turns out that I got pregnant uh, quite immediately after I moved to Kuala Lumpur. So I decided mm. to do that first. And when and I got a son, and when he turned into two years old, and I seriously started working for the bar. Right. And at that time, you were still in KL? Yes. Oh, I see. And so studying for the bar, to actually sit the exam, you'd have to come to Japan. I did, yes. Right. And had you already returned to Japan or you had to travel to sit the exam and then go back? Right. So the first time I took, I was still in KL. Mm. And so I had to bring my baby son with me to Japan to take the bar because I couldn't leave him, you know, in KL. And that's how you manage that. (laughs) I know. And in the Japanese bar, we have to take three tests and multiple choice in May, essays in July, and the verbal test in October. So I had to take my son in May to take the exam. And I chose the night flight so that he could sleep. and, And he slept. And I was all relieved. And then there was an announcement saying, oh, I'm sorry, we cannot fly tonight due to some engine trouble. So you, we, you, know, you have to stay at the accommodations that we arranged. Oh, no. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, there's lots of stories about taking the exam. And, you know, I went back to Japan. I just uh, brought my son to my parents-in-law and I stayed at my parents' house, but it was only like three days before the exam. Mm. And immediately after the exam, you know, I went to pick up a son and went back to KL and came back again in July kind of things. (laughs) So my son was always there with me and went through all of this. And that year, I went move on to the second essay, but I didn't make it. Mm. And then we came back to Japan at the end of that year. So the next exam I was able to take in Japan. Ah, yeah. Right. So you already settled back into Japan at that time. But what a journey. What's your learnings from those times? Well, I was lucky. I think I was very lucky that Japan started the low school system. And then, so they opened the door. When I was at the university, there were only 500 people who passed the exam. And then they they expanded to 1,000 people mm. for a long time. But when I passed the exam, it was 1,500 people. So I'm pretty sure I'm one of these edit <laughs> last <laughs> ones. <laughs> but I was lucky that the system is changing. And because I didn't make 
the bar and the law school started. And I decided that I would also enroll the law school in case I wouldn't make the bar exam next year. And so actually, I went to Hitotsubashi Law School, one of the very first students when the law school began. And I went, so I took the, I passed the bar when I was just at the law school. Hmm. I I stopped, I quit the law school because I I didn't need to anymore. But yes, I was very lucky that the doors, I guess, opened for people like me to become a lawyer. But you were also hedging your bets too, weren't you? You'd done the bar exam, but you were preparing yourself just in case it wasn't successful and you could join the new, well, you were part of that uh, training at Hitotsubashi. So you uh, Yes, and both. that's that's the law yeah. school. So if, if I didn't make the old bar mm-hmm. exam, then I could take the new bar exam. Right. So and you... the passing rate was much higher. Right, you know, so, yes, mm, yes. You're being very wise on that one, right? Oh, okay, so but... then <laughs> I think that's <laughs> wise to be, you know, trying two different options and seeing which one worked, but you did pass and that's fantastic. So how did you then, you joined Tanabem Partners. Yes. How do you find the role when you're, you're at the university, at the training, right? You're still at Hitotsubashi Law School and then you're also waiting to see if you've passed. Mm-hmm. Are you also searching for the job right Tanabe Park. no no right? actually at my time we started searching for the law firms after we joined the institute oh, and uh, so and the institute lasted for one and a half years mm. much longer and because less people passed uh, the exam at the year that I passed mm. and so I no I just finished uh, school and then then joined the institute and studied like others and was searching for law firms to work for right and you when you joined them you did the fundamentals that lawyers need to do so what kinds of things should lawyers concentrate on in those first couple of years when they join a firm right In, in my case i still had my son and uh, he just uh, started the elementary school mm. when I became a lawyer. And so I thought uh, it would be too challenging for me to learn how to practice law in English. And so I chose the domestic law firm uh, so that I could just focus on learning how to practice Ah, so that's almost like a step towards later when you wanted to concentrate on law in English. You did your law in Japanese first. Yes, yes. Oh. And uh, I thought it would be too much for me because my time was limited to try to learn how to practice law in English. Right. So what do you concentrate on then? Are you learning from other partners, how they're doing their work? Are you doing what's assigned to you? Are you trying to build relationships? What are you sort of thinking about? Do you remember at that time that you concentrated on? Yes, yes. And so Tanaben Partners had a system that two lawyers assigned to every work. And it doesn't necessarily 
uh, a partner and associate. Sometimes it's two associates or two partners. And so I got to work with many senpai lawyers at the law firm. Mm. And uh, so it's a kind of a traditional Japanese way, but uh, lawyers assigned to clients. And uh, so, for example, Ministry of Foreign Affairs was my assigned client. Mm. And uh, and I was working with a partner on every matter that they brings in, right? And and also I was assigned to many companies as well, some listed companies and some startups, and private companies. And so when they have a shareholder meeting, then we will assess uh, a client with preparations. And when they have issues with HR, then we help them with the HR issues, mm. corporate or sometimes even criminal or IP, you know, everything just come to us. And so when we need some expertise internally, then we will discuss with other lawyers, but we were just um, expected to learn everything. And that was such a learning learning experience right and what challenges then came across your path I mean having the Ministry of Foreign Affairs as a client must have been quite phenomenal and you would have learned a lot about the inside of government organizations as well but what kinds of challenges came across your path then well the Tanabin partners also had like individuals as clients and, you know, I have a kid and I am not very young. <laughs> and so the partners wanted me to help them with cases like divorce oh, or family okay. matters and things. Right. Right. Yes. You know, I was considered kind of a mature <laughs> compared to, you know, young lawyers. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge challenge <laughs> to help uh, the divorce and family cases. But that was a learning as well. And mm-hmm. how to really be with clients, I think. I learned and how to negotiate uh, in courts as well. I did a lot of litigation, not just for the family matters, but other matters as well. And uh, yes, that's something which international or large large Japanese law firms don't handle. Mm. Uh, but uh, that experience also kind of made my, I don't know, career a little different, I guess. From others yeah, I would think so yeah and that helped a lot I sort of think you made me think back to my earlier days back in New Zealand when I did general practice as well as a commercial work but I had a lot of family matters and I think when you was talking I was thinking myself how it made me think about people's situations and their emotional state when they're Mm-hmm. in the middle of an issue and and how you need empathy towards them when they're going through those family matters. And I think that helps you later on, but you don't often get that experience once you're in a firm like you are in now. Of course, we need to be exhibiting empathy, but I think if we don't have that chance to be in a family matters and divorces and things like that, it's hard to get that experience. So it's quite an unusual one that you've had but it served you very well for later on, right? Yes, yes, exactly. And you moved, though, eventually to Oric, where you are now, and became an associate with them. 
Tell us about that, uh, moving from a local firm and your desire to then go into a large global firm. Yes. So my plan was to stay at Tanabe for a little bit longer until our son probably graduate the elementary school or and then goes to junior high. That was the time I was thinking. Mm. And but I got an opportunity to work at Oric, but I was hesitant and I was so worried that probably I will not be able to go home to look after or even see my son before he goes to sleep and uh, the work at Oric would probably be too busy for me to handle because at Tanabe Partners, there are many working mothers and fathers and it, it is quite common for lawyers to go home like seven or eight Mm. o'clock for example of course there are many lawyers who stay until the last train but many lawyers not just female but male lawyers mm. we really wanted to finish work efficiently and get it done and go home and so I was not in the office like every day like nine and ten it wasn't like that and but I thought at Oric probably I would have to be in the office until midnight and I cannot handle mm. and so then uh, the Oric partners told me that no absolutely not you can work from home at night no problem and when I moved to Oric the position was in the employment law group mm. and I, I didn't really choose it but it was like a niece at Oric and because I was doing some employment law work for Oric at that time, and they recruited me. And uh, so I didn't choose to be an employment lawyer, actually. But uh, that was a time then I decided, okay, this is my profession. I am going to be an employment lawyer. But it just came. I was told that most of the clients don't live in Japan. They are in the US or sometimes in Singapore or Hong Kong and there is a time difference so at night if I have to do the call then I can do it from home and many HL people are actually female and they are very time conscious and efficient and I should get along with them and well so and I thought I could believe this Mm -hmm. and I decided to move I see. But it was really like I wasn't really sure if I could really do well at the time. And, and you had sort of fears that you thought was the case, but until you actually asked the question, oh, do I have to work late? And they told you the answer. No, you could work, well, possibly late, but you could work from home in the evenings if you wanted to or needed to. So you cleared out the the myth that you thought that you had in your mind, right? It, the The reality was different. Yes, and uh, there were no working mother lawyer at Oric at the time, so I wasn't really sure. But when I moved, and actually it was true, and it was much easier actually to work for Oric than even with Tanabe, mm. because uh, they, you know, they gave me a BlackBerry, and so. <laughs> 
before I wasn't even able to read my emails outside of the office. So I had to be in the office oh. if I had some urgent matters. Right. Or if I was expecting a call or a draft or something. But with Auric and I had my Blackberries, I could do the call, I could re- read emails and I could bring my computer home. So I was really able to get my work done at night. And the time zone helped me a lot. And because I'm a night person and uh, and I started working after nine when my son went to bed. I don't mind doing a call with New York at midnight. Right. Um, but yeah they so much appreciate me for doing this you know <laughs> and there's like so I'm so sorry for keeping you you know so awake so late at night so I'm gonna keep this call short <laughs> kind of things but I took a lot of advantage of the time difference yes and it worked well wow and that's I, so good yes yes Yes, because some people say that, you know, they don't like the night calls, but you're a night person, so it works so perfectly with your biological clock. That's right. And also that was the time when I really want, I was able to focus on my work at mm. night, you know, and along in my work de- at my work desk. And that's fantastic. I mean, the BlackBerry people complained about them, but they were so efficient and obviously it helped you to be able to be flexible. You weren't tied to your desk at the office. You could be more flexible how you worked, having had that tool with you. Yes. Yeah. And I loved how you also said that most of the HR people that you were working with were women and they were very efficient with their time. (laughs) Much like these people talking with you at night on the call, they know you're up late, so they're very efficient with their time. So. All of those things factored together made it really quite efficient way for you to be working. Yes. Yeah, I see. And uh, yes, I was very fortunate, you know, and I always think that it's not that I designed it that way. You know, I never designed to be an employment lawyer, uh, but I just happened to be one. And all my experience at Mitsubishi Corporation helped me with that. And I really didn't look for a new position, but it kind of came. So the favorite uh, was, you know, phrase, which I like. It's a, it's a Japanese phrase and I translate it into English, but uh, this is doors to opportunities have no doorknobs. And this is kind of uh, I like, and this is what my life is. I kind of try to be prepared, I guess. Then some opportunities do come and I just grab it kind of things. This this is how I, I guess I was living. What does that mean though? The doors to opportunity have no doorknobs. Does that mean you just push and they open rather than having to turn a knob? What does that uh, mean? Yeah, we cannot open it. I cannot open it myself, but when the door opens, that's the time, that's the only time that I can get it. I see. Yes. Yeah, it'll just open and that's the time that you walk through. Right. So kind of be prepared and wait for the opportunities because I think opportunities and luck will always come to anyone. And we just uh, need to notice it and be ready and have uh, courage 
you know, have some nerve to go and get it. It sounds like Malaysia. It sounds like Mitsubishi. It sounds like where you are now, Tanabe. Was it true? Am I right in thinking that Oric asked Tanabe to help them with the employment work? Mm-hmm. I see. And so yes. that led you to be advising on the employment area. It seems like it's all fitted together. And anyone looking from the outside would think, of course, naturally, that all fits together. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting at the time you weren't so noticing of that. But then here's this opportunity that comes up and all the pieces fit together so nicely. It's really great. What do you love about your work now when you are doing your work? What gives you joy about the kind of work that you're doing? Oh, I love doing almost everything <laughs> as a Yay, lawyer. great to hear that. Yes. <laughs> I love building up strategies for litigation or for negotiations as well. I love drafting mm. and kind of secretly putting provisions which I expect to be needed in the future, but the kind of no one notices it and gets it. And after a few years, uh, clients come back and say, oh, we have an issue. And I go like, here we are. That's already in here. This is what I like <laughs> very much. Ah, so you can yeah. see the future. You can see the future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you can see that as well, right? <laughs> and uh, it's well, experience, kind of, right? You can kind of guess what might happen, right? And But you've put right. it in there and um, you're, you're almost predicting or thinking about if this does happen, I need to be able to protect my client in this way. Right. So a good thing about being a lawyer is I think the experience counts. So uh, if we get older, we lose something, but still, I think we are still piling up our experience Mm -hmm. so we can be like a stronger lawyer, I think. Right. And you also do a lot of uh, corporate governance advice for your corporates. And I think back earlier, perhaps it was at Tanabe you did external um, statutory auditor work for Japanese startups. So Mm -hmm. this area of corporate governance, is that also part of what you're doing now on a daily basis advising clients yes yes i do so what does that involve corporate governance we hear a lot about uh you know esg these days it's a very hot topic often the e and the s are talked about but not the g the governance part so much what does corporate governance mean to you and how do you advise clients on that most of my clients are us or european or foreign companies and having wholly owned subsidiary in Japan. And so don't have many listed clients, but more global and uh, inter-company kind of things. So uh, the corporate governance is not very complicated with my work at Auric. Mm. And, but uh, some companies are classified as large companies, then they need to implement internal control system or very Japan-specific governance codes. So mm-hmm. I assist or we assist our clients with building up these things. And always the challenge is that we need to explain all the laws and the best practice to the people in the head office outside of Japan. Mm-hmm. And so we for example, compare 
in the US, this is like this, but in Japan, this is a role or this is the best practice. And our recommendation is this you know, type of approach. And part of that was when you were on the other side, you were actually advising as a statutory auditor on some companies. How does that mm -hmm. work in Japan? I think before we recorded today, you were telling me that it's quite common for lawyers to be that external board member, that statutory auditor for Japanese companies. How does that come about? Yes. So it's uh, many Tanabe and partners, uh, partners serve as external directors and external statutory auditors because the Companies Act requires certain uh, external officers and the listed companies and mm -hmm. large companies, you know, so, and it's pretty typical for companies to hire lawyers or accountants for such position. And I was doing an external auditor at a Japanese startup, but when I was at Tanabe Partners. And so what we did was um, we read through all the board uh, papers and materials, which could quite be substantial mm. and attend the board meetings and actively involved in the discussions if needed mm. kind of things. It's a kind of a very typical work that uh, lawyers do in Japan, but not at global companies. Not right. like doesn't really allow that to. Yes, that's <laughs> yes. right. So I was going to say that's another advantage of working for a local law firm is that you do get those opportunities to have a board position in that way, external advisor. So I think that's great. Does that yes kind of what kind of opportunities would a a woman lawyer then get from doing that? What sort of advantages or what sort of opportunities do you think that brings somebody who's a female lawyer? Uh, yes, yeah, so there is a strong need for companies to hire female officers and they find it very difficult generally to promote internally. Hmm. You know, it takes time, it takes years for them to really promote women. And so women lawyers are very popular in the market, I think, for, for mm. these positions. I do know a lot of people, my friends, lawyers, and serving yeah. for the position. It's a heavy burden, and but it's very excited. And uh, yes, they get like director's compensation as well. Mm. So they're compensated for the work. Right. And uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. So yes. knowing since I do one myself, I know <laughs> you do. Yes. A bit of a burden. Uh, there is a lot of materials to read. But I right. what about when women lawyers may be offered such an opportunity, what do mm -hmm. you think they should consider or questions they should ask themselves about those sort of opportunities? Like for me, you know, is it aligned, is that kind of company or their mission aligned with my mission or my vision? And, you know, maybe do I like the people who are on the board? Would I be able to work with them? Mm -hmm. Those are kinds of things that I thought about. And, you know, of course, do I have the skills and experience and competency to add to the board? Is there anything you would add to that when people are sort of thinking about it? Maybe a, a woman lawyer has been offered a position, what they should think about as they decide to join that kind of board opportunity? 
Uh, yes, and uh, this is what we wrote in the white paper for the ACCJ HR committee and about the LGBT marriage equality things. And uh, our belief is that diversity is directly connected to the financial outcome of the company. Yeah. And diversity does really help companies to succeed so and just in addition it may be just an addition of one female director or statutory auditor but that diversity will really should have great impact on the company and so I think I will say they should be proud mm. to be one and have confidence that they can contribute to the company and have their their own views and so it's not just promoting female internally but about all the business and how to make the company's great place to work for mm. employees for example and lots of things i think they can do and also for the business as well and women put a very good priority, for example, of things, I think, of order and uh, in a sense, quick to learn, you know. Mm. And uh, so I really encourage <laughs> mm. them to take a position if there is any opportunity. Right. And also you talked about ACCJ there and that preparation yes. of the white paper. How about those kinds of opportunities as well, the external being able to contribute to society and to the business community in that kind of way. Would you recommend that kind of volunteer work as well for lawyers to be trying to engage in? Yes, yes, definitely. Our U.S. offices do a lot of work, pro bono work or activities and diversity. And uh, I think that is really creating our culture culture mm. and that yes and uh, we have a very strong women kind of society and every time we go for a partner retreat there is like a women lawyer cocktail and <laughs> celebration of new partners I think it helps a lot for lawyers to be involved in activities mm. outside of the law mm. but to be in the society yeah, I think with that particular white paper, you would have been able to contribute your skills and experience, but also learn from the other businesses and the other groups that are part of the membership of ACCJ and hear what they have to say as well. So it really broadens your experience amazingly. And I also love how you just touched on there about the culture of your firm and you have won this accolade of being in the top, what, 13? Top law firm and in the top 13 of places that have a great environment where people want to work. What yes, else? And yeah, what else yeah. about that is really important? How do you get to be there? Because there's not many law firms that make it into those grades. Other global companies make it there. But what is it about where you are that makes a great work workplace, a great work environment? Yes, I don't know. I haven't worked with other global law firms, but the... Auric really cares about the uh, life of each lawyer and mm -hmm. also staff as well. 
and we do have flexible work styles mm. and uh, even before COVID it was possible to work from home and although and in Tokyo most lawyers were actually working in the office before COVID but we do have a couple of lawyers who moved out of Tokyo and working remotely outside of Tokyo or outside of Japan even before COVID. Oric does offer like reduced uh, alternative work schedule, mm. like 80% or 60% or even 40% if a lawyer wishes. And uh, the use of that doesn't really affect the promotion you know it's just the compensation expected uh, billable hours are reduced but the contribution is valued in a fair way mm-hmm. and uh, yes I, I never used uh, the alternative work schedule our son was big enough I guess <laughs> and I to do full-time but many lawyers and associates and even partners in the U.S are on the alternative work schedule and they're doing very well. And, you know, work-life balance is uh, something which the firm cares about. Mm. And the collaboration, always kind of open atmosphere, you know. And Mm. the the firm is really trying to be creative. Mm. And so they introduced the plug-in, I mean plug-out, time Mm. and Mm. so all lawyers are expected to take one week of complete uh, off week and it's for associates that count at the billable hours otherwise it doesn't really mean much you know to take uh, a week off but uh, people don't really take a week off and but yes doing a lot of things to make it a good place for everyone that's amazing incentive right that you can take a week off totally plug out time and it counts as billable hours that would have to be pretty major i've not heard of another firm that does that that's that's incredible as well as you know the collaboration openness creativeness alternative work schedule that sounds like real draw cards for your firm what a great place to work lovely Wow. Okay. So what else then is there for you in the future? What sort of things do you see as the role that you've got now or law in general in the future? Yes. Uh, So in Japan, unfortunately, it's not as popular as it was to become a lawyer, I think, in Japan. Mm. And uh, the less and less people are going to the law schools and taking the bar. Why is that? because the law school system, I think, oh, I didn't see. quite work, didn't uh, meet with expectation because the original design was to limit uh, the number of schools and keep the passing rates high, like 70 and 80. Mm. Uh, but uh, there were just so many law schools at the beginning and the passing rate, I think it's below 50%. And so it's a kind of, and people do have to invest uh, tuitions and time at least for two years to take the bar. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was a kind of, it lost the good part of becoming a lawyer 
at any time, you know, anywhere, if you want, kind of thing was lost. Mm. And it's not as popular as before. But I do think that we have a good future for lawyers in Japan. The AI uh, will not wipe out, (laughs) I I hope, but I don't think uh, the core work that we do. Yeah. Uh, because what we do is more like the human kind of things. It's not something which computers can figure out. And uh, so I really hope that uh, more young people, especially female, will try to be lawyers in the future. Yeah. yeah. And if, if they want to be lawyers and be successful, are there any top tips you might have for them to be a successful lawyer in Japan? Maybe two or three things that they should do to be uh, successful. Yes, I think there were lots of definitions of successful, right? (laughs) Yes, and yeah, but just one thing is to learn the basics. I think it's it's very important to start uh, a career at a place where they can learn basics and start the career from there Mm. and uh, there are two ways of doing this one is to become a general lawyer like many local law firm lawyers are and another is to focus on certain practice areas and do most of that work which is, you know, what the large Japanese law firms and uh, global law firms do. Mm. And so I think it's good for young lawyers to do everything at the beginning and consider what they like to do and whether they want to do lots of things or whether they want to concentrate and which area of law interests them. To find out. So, my recommendation is a kind of just start with a mid sized uh, law firm and start with the very basics and working with many lawyers and doing lots of things and learn and think how you'd like to develop your career. Yeah. And sometimes you can find the thing that you love quite surprisingly, like you have with this HR and employment angle that you have you didn't really know that's where you were going to be but you are and you can be surprised yourself where you end up and what kind of law that you end up loving and doing yes yes great and you're not only doing law you're also loving your sports and (laughs) and all those sorts of things so how are you fitting those kinds of uh, activities into your life do you have a kind of set time of the day that you do that you you make sure that you're also weaving those kinds of activities into your work life yes and so it was difficult before COVID to do some like yogas or tennis things during weekdays Mm. but after COVID uh, I do more working from home and um, my activity level (laughs) you know went down but I have more time, you know, no time for commute, no time to get ready and things. So I have, I have more time. So kind of schedule the yogas or tennis at night mm-hmm. or, you know, on some weekdays. And I do play a lot over the weekends when I have time, right. but try to 
put that on my schedule. So even if I don't finish my work, I just go and do and come back and, you know, finish my work after that. Love it. Kind of, right? Yes. You, you go yes. and do it. It's on your schedule. Yes. So you go and do it and then come back because work can wait. Right. Oh, yes. good. Does your son like tennis or yoga as well? Uh, yes, it's actually, he, he's playing tennis and oh, quite seriously. Cool. And yes. And uh, yes, he, he does play great. tennis too. Oh, wow. Yes. That's really yes. fantastic. And and what yes. else, you know, if you weren't a lawyer, what do you think you would be? Would you be a tennis player? Would you like to be a pro tennis player? Oh, no, I, I didn't have, I, I don't have that talent. <laughs> and uh, so I couldn't be one, but mm. I don't know. But I love watching sports as well. Mm. And so... I wanted to become like a sports writer <laughs> and uh, things. I was really reading seriously like the sports newspapers on the airplane wow. when I was working at Mitsubishi. And I was just reading too seriously. And the CA asked me, are you a writer, a newspaper writer <laughs> at sports? But I love watching rugby football. Right. And that's my favorite. That's and he says, yes. Yeah, I will have to see some rugby together. That's what I yeah, love. Yeah, you do? You do love? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes. So excited. Uh, yes, so Yumiko, you've talked a lot about uh, your successes and opening up those doors to opportunity. But sometimes in our life, things are not always as we plan. And we, we sometimes have to give up things to get further in life. How's that been for you? Yes. Yeah, one thing I decided to give up is to have the second uh, child. And uh, it took a little longer for me to become a lawyer. And I, I chose not to have the second uh, child until I passed the bar. And then at the time, I decided that I wanted to spend more time on my career. So I decided to give up having the second and more children. Mm. And so, yes, I think just going for it so much might be too much. And to think about the balance of life, sometimes I think we need to give up something. So I, I am not sure if I have been successful or not. You know, if I had started as a lawyer much younger, then I would have been different. And if I started as a lawyer without working for a company, then I probably would not be doing employment law and I might have two or three kids now, but it's just a life how it goes. Mm -hmm. And I, I was just uh, kind of flexible with my life stage and did uh, what I can do. But it was a kind of a determination that I wanted to be a lawyer and build my practice. So that's uh, what I have been doing. So going for it and being determined, but at the same time having a balanced way of looking at your life. Um, and that's really what you've concentrated on, right? And, and no regrets. It's just the way things have gone for you. Is that what you're saying? Yes, yes, yes. So uh, I haven't talked about my son much yet. And but the thing is, I asked him whether he wanted to have a second child. And, you know, after I passed the bar, he mm. thought about it and said, no, 
<laughs> and so it was his option. He remembers that he decided oh. he wanted to monopolize uh, parents' <laughs> attention to himself. So he never said, I want a little sister or brother. And he was always with me. You know, sometimes I wasn't able to come home for dinner, but uh, he was at the elementary school. He didn't have money and uh, there was no Uber at the time. But then I arranged the pizza to be delivered home uh, kind of things. Yes, he didn't quite enjoy having babysitters at home. So <laughs> when he was like 10, he asked me, can I wait for you along? I'm happy to be along at 10 o'clock. It just it's better to be along than spending time with baby sisters and things. <laughs> but it seems like he does have a lot of respect to me, which is a good thing. So he didn't take it as a bad experience of loneliness or anything, but he kind of really shared uh, my passion to my profession. And uh, he was really seeing how hard I was working and I kind of tried to look after him, but always not really being able to do so. <laughs> and I was not really doing a lot of like cleaning apps or <laughs> houseworks. I often kind of put, you know, aside and sorry. <laughs> but I guess uh, a son didn't mind it. And he was al always with me. And we mm. went through this together. So this feeling is okay. And uh, yes. Housework is not always the most important thing to be doing in a day, right? If you're, I know. If your son feels looked after and well cared for, and also he's supporting you on your journey, that's amazing. What does your son want to be when he grows up? Oh, actually, he's grown up. Oh, he's grown <laughs> and, up. Uh, yes, he's <laughs> working for an international <laughs> <laughs> trading house. <laughs> Okay, like, so he's like working for a trading house, uh, almost like his mum did. He doesn't want to be a lawyer. Uh, no, and, no. <laughs> uh, he actually he started working this year, oh, and yes, okay. he was playing tennis at the university's uh, tennis team Great. until last year, and uh, yes, he he wanted to be like his dad, <laughs> not like mom. <laughs> So he wanted well, to be a go. business person. Yes. Business person. Wow, that's yes. fantastic. I'm sure he's a, a joy of your life. And um, it's really great that you shared that with us. Thank you so much. Anything else here that we have not covered today that you wanted to talk about or you did mention, but you didn't quite cover and you want to reemphasize? No, I, uh, I think I talked too much no, about myself. No, you yeah. didn't. That was great. Head into the final round of questions and I'm going to okay. jump one and just go into a certain second question, which is if you could live anywhere in the world, mm -hmm. Rico, where would you live? If you could live anywhere in the world, where would you live? Uh, but it has to be one place, right? Maybe. <laughs> uh, Japan. Okay. <laughs> yeah. What would be next to Japan? I mean, Japan, yes, I understand why, but what would be the one outside of Japan you'd like to live? Lots of just, uh, I just, there's just so many, many places mm. that I was not able to choose one. That's why I said Japan. Okay. And, okay. But I, I would probably go back to in, to the UK. Right. 
and because that's why I can see lots of great uh, rugby football and tennis and all the other sports. Right. And that's so true. Wimbledon and Wimbledon. um, Yes. Rugby World Cup is in France next year, but still very close to the UK to go and watch. Yes. All right. How about a recent, because you read a lot of books, maybe you're also reading a lot of books about sports, but a podcast or a book that you've read recently or that you've listened to, if it's a podcast, that you'd recommend to anybody? Yes. And so I have to make some announcement (laughs) that uh, our former managing partner of Orik Tokyo, and he's still with us, he wrote a book. Right. And uh, Mark Wicks. And yeah. he wrote a book, a novel called Bottled Lightning, and which is a great uh, novel about half Japanese, half American lawyer having a Japan and New York license, living in Japan, practicing law. He's a managing partner of a global law firm, yeah. and uh, he's going through lots of issues and excitement in japan and yes yes this this is a really interesting i read it and this is great book so i recommend that yes (laughs) bottled lightning sounds great to me and you mentioned a little saying before when we were talking about opportunity but do you have Mm. any other favorite saying or kotowaza that you like or is that really the one that you gave us? Doors to opportunity have no doorknobs. Is that the favorite one of yours? Yes, yes. Okay. So I pass it. <laughs> well, you, you know, I know you mentioned Mark Weeks wrote a book, but if you were going to write a book tomorrow, what would you write a book about? I want to write about rugby football. Oh, and okay. uh, yes, and because it's it's so international, you know, it's just so cross-culture. And it's amazing that Australian players, New Zealand players are playing in the Japan team. They are. And mm. it's just one team. And so how they trust with each other and how they kind of cultivate their friendship. Mm. Yeah, it's just so wonderful. I just I want to write something about rugby football. Ooh, yes. so good. Okay, yes. that's wonderful. And last question. If you could be instantly an expert in something, what would it be? I want to be an actress. <laughs> to be different uh, people and oh, act. To be different people. Yes. That, that should be fun. <laughs> Lots of fun. Well, yes. that's so much fun. Thank you so much, Yumiko. We've come to the end Thank of the you. recording. But my goodness, it's been so great to have you in such a joyful conversation. And I love talking about rugby. So I'll make sure that I keep my ears open for any opportunity for you to maybe meet some New Zealand or Australian rugby players uh, in the future and be able to take maybe take you to a, a match. We can go and see a game. Yes, yes, yes. I'm presuming yeah. you know the rules as well, right? I do, yes. Ah, great. All right. Well, we've had such a great conversation about career and sport and opportunities and all the different things you've done and with your family. And uh, it's been a really wonderful story. Thank you so much for giving up your time and your gems of advice also for people who are wanting to do law. Um, that was really great. Thank you very much. How can people yeah. get in touch with you? Uh, can yeah. they do that through LinkedIn or where's a good place to get hold of you? Sure, LinkedIn. And uh, sending 
me messages is fine and then my email or oh, email right. is also your business fine. email yes yeah okay fine as well. we can pop all of that into the show notes later so anyone who's interested in connecting with you and learning more can get in touch yes certainly all right all right well we'll finish it up there thank you so much for being a guest in season four of lawyer on air and to my listeners please do like this episode subscribe to lawyer on air so it can be seen and heard by more people uh, and do go ahead and share this episode with someone else in your community who you think would enjoy listening to it to be inspired to live a wonderful lawyer extraordinaire life that's all from me cheers kampai thank you bye-bye Thank you so much for listening today to this episode of Lawyer On Air. I really hope that you were inspired by the story you heard and that you discovered something new about women in the law. Please subscribe to the show so that you don't miss future episodes. And if you can think of even just one person to share this episode with, that would make my day. I invite you to connect with me to talk more. Jump on over to LinkedIn or Instagram where you can find me or send me a message via my website contact page. That's all from me today. I look forward to seeing you right here on the next episode of Lawyer On Air. Cheers, come pie, and bye for now.